1: Welcome to the Taishin Seneca Business Brief brought to you by Sub China. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Taishin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Taishin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca podcast. It's the start of summer and things are certainly heating up in the world's second largest economy. A new study has sparked concern about the impacts that China's 5G and data centers have on the environment. The yuan has surged to a record high against the U.S. dollar. Meanwhile, there's been a warning that the global chip shortage could drag on for another year or so. With all the hottest news from China's world of business, here's what's been going down over the past week. In major geopolitical news, China's Vice President Liu He spoke with U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai over the phone Thursday morning China Standard Time, This marks the first time the two countries' top trade negotiators have talked since President Joe Biden took office in January. According to the Chinese Ministry of Commerce, the two sides conducted candid, pragmatic, and constructive exchanges and agreed that the development of bilateral trade is very important. Meanwhile, a statement by the U.S. Trade Representative Office said that Tai looked forward to future discussions with her Beijing counterpart, The statement added that she had raised certain so-called issues of concern, though the statement did not elaborate. The phone conversation came two months after China and the U.S. concluded their first high-level face-to-face meeting in March in Anchorage, Alaska, as an effort to re-engage after the relationship deteriorated during the previous four years under former U.S. President Donald Trump. China is getting ready to tighten restrictions on crypto mining even further. The country's Inner Mongolian Autonomous Region has announced more plans to crack down on such activity. The moves are said to be part of Inner Mongolia's ambitions to slash its energy consumption over the next few years. According to a list of proposed measures released last week, the region will revoke a certain telecommunications business license of any telecommunications and internet companies that engage in cryptocurrency mining. Meanwhile, big data centers and cloud computing companies involved in cryptocurrency mining will no longer be eligible for preferential government policies. The news may send shockwaves through the global crypto universe, given how Inner Mongolia has emerged as a mining hub as a result of its ample and relatively affordable electricity resources. There have also been dramatic developments in the global semiconductor scene. The CEO of Chinese computer giant Lenovo said he expects the world chip shortage to persist for as long as another 18 months. Speaking during a quarterly earnings call on Thursday, Yang Yuanqing, the CEO of Lenovo, said his company would feel the true force of the chip scarcity when building new capacity. His comments come as a combination of the post-pandemic manufacturing rebound, resurgent consumer demand, and sanctions against Chinese technology companies continue to place unprecedented strain on global chip supplies. As a result, businesses in industries including consumer electronics, home appliances, and automobiles have been forced to cut back on production. A new study by Greenpeace East Asia has laid bare how harmful 5G and the data boom could be for the global climate. According to the Environmental Group's new report, last year, data centers and 5G base stations consumed more than 200 billion kilowatt hours of electricity. More than 60% of this electricity came from burning coal. The study predicts that by 2035, Chinese data centers and 5G base stations will have expanded their combined power usage by almost 290%. Greenpeace warns that all of this could threaten to complicate Beijing's climate pledges. And there has also been very different environmental news making the headlines in the world's most populous nation. This time, the story is not about the fast-growing technology sector, but rather about elephants, Chinese social media users have gone wild over images of a herd of 15 wild elephants marching single file down a main road in an urban area in the country's southwestern province of Yunnan. Residents in their path were evacuated, and those further along the herd's route were alerted. The alarm sounded by local authorities also protected the baby elephants from being hit by cars. The pachyderms had reportedly originated in an elephant reserve in tropical Sichuan na Dai Autonomous Prefecture, but have gradually been traveling north. The elephant caravan has also left quite a trail of destruction. Over the 40 days of moving northward, the creatures damaged close to 850 acres of crops, with economic losses estimated at $1 million. And finally, in big economic news, China's yuan surged to a fresh three-year high against the U.S. dollar over the past week. Analysts expect the currency to remain strong, as the Chinese central bank has yet to show signs it's concerned about the pace of appreciation, and the greenback's weakness looks set to continue. The yuan has been on a tear since the end of March, when it was trading in the onshore market at around 6.57 yuan per dollar. After rising beyond 6.4 yuan for the first time since mid-June 2018 in intraday trading on Tuesday, the Chinese currency has continued to strengthen and reached around 6.37 on Thursday evening, Beijing time. According to analysts, the currency's appreciation is being driven mainly by the weakening dollar, that being said, confidence in the Chinese economy and the economic outlook are also attracting further fund inflows from international investors, thereby further boosting demand for the yen. Okay, now let's turn to Taishin Global podcast producer Nandini Venkata, co producer of this program, who will be bringing us the latest on the ultra marathon in Gansu that turned deadly with 21 runners dying mostly of hypothermia. Nandini, welcome back. Uh, For those of our listeners who may not know what happened, can you first fill them in on the basics of uh, the Gansu tragedy before we update the story?
0: Hi, Kaiser. Yeah, sure. So on May 22nd, 172 runners took part in an ultra marathon in China's northwestern Gansu province. And this was a 100-kilometer race. Um, It was a trail run or a cross-country run. So that means that people weren't running in city streets, but they were running out in the wilderness. Um, To be more specific, they were running through a scenic area, which is known as the Jingtai Yellow Riverstone Forest. And it's a pretty striking place. It's made up of canyons and mountainous terrain Now, the race started at 9 in the morning, but in just a few hours, the situation deteriorated rapidly. By the early afternoon, a terrible storm had set in, and this really was an awful storm. There was ice-cold rain, hail, strong winds, and a dramatic drop in temperature. To make matters worse, a lot of these runners were just wearing shorts and vests, So they really had little protection against these fierce elements. Now, a team of 700 rescue personnel were sent out to bring these runners back to safety, but unfortunately, um, things did turn tragic. 21 of the participants ended up dying, and most of the victims are said to have died from hypothermia.
1: This was clearly a harrowing experience, a truly awful ordeal. I-, I wonder whether you've heard from any of the race participants You know what it was actually like to be there.
0: Well, one of the runners who survived, a man called Zhang Xiaotao, um, actually wrote an article about his ordeal for our Caixin Global blog. Um, he was the only runner in the race's top six to survive. His article gives a really vivid account of what it was like to be there on that fateful day. Um, He calls it a living hell and it really does sound like it. Um, He says he had to climb up a hill, completely frozen and shivering in the storm while the wind and rain were blurring his vision and making it hard for him to find his way and once he got to the top of the hill, uh, he f- saw one of the racist checkpoints. Um, now, for those of you who may not be familiar with what a checkpoint is, it's basically a small place. Usually it's like a little tent or a hut where um, you have some race support staff who hand the participants um, water, food. They often have medical assistance also available in case um, any of the runners is feeling unwell. So it's it's also a place where you can go for refuge if, you're, um, if you want to drop out of the race and you say, like, for example, I injured my foot, I'm not feeling well. This is a p- place where you can go for help. But junk says that this checkpoint that he found at the top of the hill didn't have any replenishments. So he ended up carrying on. And then he ended up, losing control of his body, and collapsing on the ground. The last thing he remembers before falling unconscious is pressing the SOS button on his GPS tracker, and he says that he thinks he lay there for about two and a half hours. Just by chance, he was spotted by a local shepherd. That shepherd carried Zhang to a cave, where he took the runner out of his cold, wet clothes, wrapped him in a duvet, and lit a fire to keep him warm. And that same shepherd actually has reportedly saved um, a total of six runners who were also participating in that race.
1: Nandini, this is a truly horrific story, and I'm sure uh, people have questions about how this was able to turn into just such an awful tragedy.
0: Yeah, Kaiser, that's right. I think one of the biggest questions that many people are wondering about is could these 21 deaths um, have been avoided if the race had been better prepared? Right now, we don't have an official answer on this. Uh, Gansu authorities are investigating the matter Um, They are specifically investigating the cause of the deaths as well as the company that organized the race. And those investigating have invited experts from relevant national authorities to participate. That includes the General Administration of Sport and the China Meteorological Administration. Now, in the wake of the disaster, uh, many of these types of trail runs are getting suspended in China as people seem to be getting more concerned about their safety standards. In fact, last week, Chinese news agency Xinhua reported that over 60 marathons and cross-country races had been canceled or postponed. And I actually had a bit of personal experience of this as well. Over the weekend, I was meant to participate in a trail run in, in some mountains just outside Beijing. And just overnight, the race was called off, even though the distances um, were much shorter. They went 100K. I was signed up for a 22K, and there was even a 15K run, which was also called
1: off. Let's talk about the organization of the Gansu race. Uh, has there been talk of things not being up to standard?
0: Some of the runners and rescue team members told Shin that there were some Uh, organizational flaws so this race has been going on since 2018 and every year it's required participants to bring warm and windproof jackets but for a reason that's not quite clear this year the organizer actually removed these items from the list of compulsory gear Um. A local weather bureau also told Session that it had submitted a detailed forecast to the event organizer. Um, so as part of that information, the weather bureau had um, handed over information regarding the highest and lowest temperatures, as well as um, information on wind conditions. But despite all of that, the race still went ahead. I should add that some details have also come out about um one of the race organizers, um, that's a company called Gansu Shenjing Sports. Shenjing has actually been organizing the race since 2018, when the race started. And after undertaking interviews, Tsai has learned that this small business, which was founded about six years ago, has no formal official employees it actually only has um, temporary hires and its executive team is also made up of temporary hires. In fact, um, according to the company's annual reports from 2016 to 2020, um, there's no sign that it had formal employees for whom the company had to pay social benefits. And one marathon organizer told session that it's pretty normal for sports events organizers to hire temporary staff um, mainly in order to limit expenses but it's more common to recruit volunteers for supporting roles whereas it's rather strange to have an executive team composed of just temporary hires. And according to the same marathon organizer, having an executive team of temporary staff could be problematic. That's because they may not have the necessary skills and expertise. He said that there's no way professional organizers would allow runners to do long distance cross-country races in just shorts and t-shirts. And this was the case in Gansu.
1: Well, thanks, Nandi, for filling us in about this tragic event. I really hope that lessons have been learned.
0: Thanks, Kaiser.
1: See you soon. And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. The Xin Syndicate Business Brief is produced by Kaiser Guo and Nandini Venkata with stories from the staff of Xin Global. Special thanks to Li Xin of Caixin Global. Thanks to Spring and Autumn for the music. Here's stories from Caixin Global, SupChina, Sixth Tone, and many other China-focused outlets on the new China Stories podcast. And for daily news and views, make sure to subscribe to SupChina Access for the daily newsletter find us at subchina.com. thanks for listening and we'll see you next week take care